this is definitely a message of hope. And I, you know, I've said that to you and I, I really want to make sure that I push that out because, you know, there is a lot of darkness on this. This realm is one that was established in the fungus type of, um, by fungus beings. I mean, it's just that simple, which is why there's just always been this high level of confusion. Even when you try to just be super positive and super all of that, you know, like something seems to kind of always come through, you know, you have people, the light workers have talked about this, you know, for decades, right? So we know that there's something else at work. And so I'm a big believer and I'd rather look at the darkness and, and look and figure out what it is, knowing that my light is, is strong enough to shine into it. And if we even just think of it scripturally, if you look at the amount of scriptures and um, from Christianity, Islam, you know, Judaism, that talk about shining light on the darkness. There's just no, there's just no coincidence that that's always being instructed and we are light. Right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Higher Journeys. I am your host, Alexis Brooks, and I am so delighted to share with you one of my dearest friends and I would say sisters on this planet. Her name is Robin McClendon, and she's got a boatload, y'all, to share with us today. I have to tell you, you know, as well uh, planned as I like to be, there are certain interviews that I do that I, I feel instinctively just have to flow and go where they go, as I always say, for the highest good of all involved. And Robin is going to bring it today. And I'm going to tell you right up front, Robin is uh, our special guest instructor coming up for the third in our series of three, Cracking the Ascension Code. And this is what we're going to be centering the conversation around today. But I want to just throw out a few terms to you immediately. One is urgency. Another is hope, stronger than hope, trust. And a third is expansion, evolution, ascension. There's so many words we can use, Robin, to just describe what we're going to talk about today. I, I'm going to give you a, a little disclaimer, y'all. We're going to get a little deep because we're going to talk about not just the light, but the darkness that has been trying to usurp the light but ultimately how the light will prevail. And so with that, let's get started. Robin, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always good to be here with you, Alexis. Well, it's good for you to be in our presence on this very important day. And, you know, what's to be said about the times that we're living in other than exciting um a little scary because it's unfamiliar territory and you're going to take us down the rabbit hole into some of that territory. But I, I want to begin at the beginning because you, you have a big story. This is not just about your personal story, but what you have been able to glean based on your own experience about what's happening now. And frankly, what sort of non-human we'll call it extraterrestrial influence on current affairs may be going on as we speak. Mm -hmm. I want to start with a question about what you believe this reality to be. Just a little question. <laughs> We've talked about this matrix-like existence that many feel that we are in. And yet, as I contemplate the idea of perhaps living when we talk about a matrix, we're talking about something we assume to be constructed, not organic. 
And yet there's this paradox that says, but we're there's an organic aspect to this planet, to us, to the universe. So where does the matrix come in? Would this be considered a sort of overlay from your perspective? What is the matrix to you? Let's start with that. That's a great question. And so, yes, um, just very simply, it it really is an overlay or, you know, you and I have talked um you know, we talk frequently, of course, and, you know, you've used the word hijacked as well. And it is a hijacked um, part of, um, I'll, I'll explain the way, a visual of how it's been shown to me. It is, Gaia is basically an exoskeleton. So everything that we're feeling on, the whole top of this planetary or realm, however we see it, is more of an exoskeleton type of structure with lots of resonance and frequencies and all kinds of plasmic etheric you know fields that co go from solid to gas to liquid so you know we have the idea of matter being very transient within the structure and there's lots of portals and spaces and places in and out of this this realm it's just a really beautiful realm as i've, as I've seen it but a part of um the freak, the resonant frequencies at one point got um, got basically usurped and hijacked, and that part had to be blocked off and sort of quarantined, as we could say. And I've asked repeatedly exactly how did what I've been shown to be a sort of a fungus. Um, of a hive-like viral fungoid type of entity, how it even come to be. And to be very honest, Gaia or the planetary logos I call Gaia um, just hasn't answered that yet. And every time I get this sense that it's just not the time to understand exactly how that happened, that will be revealed in time, but it did in fact happen. And so <clears throat> it was closed off. And so the idea of the firmament, the dome, etc. I've been shown that it is over a, a portion of her exoskeleton and we, the fungus basically was trapped under it. And in order for it to survive, it basically attracted life form to it. So you have life form that is actually just germane to this firmament area um, that does do the reincarnation process and does do the soul loop. But there are many of us who during these times have come back into this um, through a process that's similar to the birth process, she said. Even when I've asked that, it's like we are coming through the birth process, but ours is a little different. And we're, we're actually able to still stream the frequency of, and the resonant frequency of the earth, of Gaia, back up into this realm to do the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So to your point, everything that touches the exoskeleton under this firmament, so all the ground, the trees, everything that's coming up actually does have the frequency of what we would think of as the earth or the, or the real or the natural realm. And then everything else inside of it is more part of the fungus. Do y'all understand what she's saying? It can be a little bit complex, I suppose. But you did answer the question. I thank you for that. You know, I'm notorious, Robin, for taking things out of order. I'm not great at chronology <laughs> because I don't okay. think linearly, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing. 
So no. I think it's time that we go out of order and maybe go back a little bit because you have had people may be saying, how does she know this? Well, you have had like so many other experiencers, a wealth of downloads vis-a-vis your own childhood encounters. Let's take a few minutes to talk about that and how you came into having this uh, sort of purview about what's going on. What happened in your childhood? So some of my earliest memories around the time of um, about four years old or so, I found that I was having a very difficult time um, just integrating just small things. the the foods eating foods just the functions of my body just it was a number of things like that that just as a kid i can remember having a kind of hard time with and there's a number of reasons for that um that are more of this realm i um grew up as a little girl in a house that um there was, you know, alcohol abuse and, you know, we know the kind of trauma that can go with that. So there was a lot of things that I experienced that I felt um, were a little polarizing. But the one thing that was always comforting for me is that I was visited by these. It was frequency. I don't even really want to say beings because when you see beings immediately. A person thinks of a solid form, but they were more in the field of consciousness. Um that were always helping me integrate. They were helping me with my dietary issues. They were helping with body functioning. Um, And they also were doing a lot of kind of, uh, um, I felt like uh, the earliest memories were, they were helping to integrate a lot of what was going on with my, my mental frequencies and the bodily frequencies. So during this time period, I had I would have lots and lots of nosebleeds, um, and a lot of it had to do with um, electrical, magnetic frequency stuff that they would sort of kind of help me to understand what was going on. And these beings were um, definitely like what I w- would always remember at the end of sessions. I would I could see them because it was sort of like. Um, they were beings, but frequency, energetic, more so. And I would see them when they would leave my room, they would leave and actually go back into the lampposts. So outside of my window, I could see them going back into the lampposts and disappearing. They would almost morph and they were tall black, just like those tall lampposts, you know, um, and they would disappear. And there was a certain sort of sadness when they left because I felt they were always sort of helping me. Um, and then, so this would, this went on for a number, uh, for several years before I remember not needing them any longer. And then over the course of the years, um, they would sort of reappear. Um, and I didn't really even understand why they were reappearing because I never even saw them as sort of like extra extraterrestrials or things like that. And it wasn't until I had a number of talks with our, our mutual friend, Barry Littleton, um, who just one day just said, Robin, like that's you're, you're an experiencer. And I'm like, no, it's just this, you know, and he's like, no. And he would start breaking a lot of this down. I'm thinking, and then it started making sense. It started popping in. And then I could understand exactly more what those experiences were. And being in my background as an artist and, a, and an anthropologist, 
there were a couple of things in two cultures. One of them was in the Australian Aborigine culture and they called him electric man. And you see this same type of symbolism in the Mayan culture. And they have a similar name for them. I can't remember the name of it because it's um, in their language, but it's similar. And when I saw that, I'm like, that's exactly what was visiting me. This idea of this electric man um, sort of being. And so moving fast forward, what I really began to understand is that these were the black mantids that are basically electromagnetic beings that hold a neutral frequency around um, within this realm. And I can get more into detail about that, but that's basically were the beings that are part of um, mm -hmm. helping me hold resonance here in this realm. It's fascinating how so many experiencers and others who experience, well, experiencers broadly experience phenomena, speak of this electromagnetic uh, aspect being integral to the experience, whether they're feeling uh, a surge of electricity, seeing it in the form of light, mm -hmm. um, and in your case, the beings literally morphing into the lamppost, the light. I've always found that fascinating. We know we're electrical beings and that this universe is teeming with electricity to varying degrees and thus frequency. We're going to talk about the frequency and how it is shifting right now. But I want to ask you a question, Robin, about these childhood visits, do you believe so many years later that those visits were somehow preparing you for this moment in our human history? Yeah, one of the, I do. And one of the things that I've asked um, Gaia, the, you know, the logos of the planet and uh, the mantids is what was up with what was going on when I was younger, especially the nosebleeds. I really remember those. And a part of it, um, what they explained to me is that in order to have sort of direct communication, so it's not, my my form of communication is not, I'm not downloading. I'm not, um, I mean, I'm not um, channeling or um, sort of like, you know, the writing, the automatic writing. It's not that. It's a little bit like a remote viewing type of thing, but it's not exactly that. The way my frequency is wired, I, it's just like a direct line of communication. So just like I'm talking to you right now, I can just speak to the, the various resonant frequencies that are, um, that are working with me or allow me to work with them or allowing me to be able to put into words within this um, human experience, what it is that they're doing or what's happening, um, that type of thing. So it's like, I'm almost hardwired to just have this direct communication. And so that's what a lot was happening with the nosebleeds. Um, and also because it's electromagnetic frequency, a part of it was trying to help me integrate this particular avatar so that, um, that frequency just wouldn't sort of blow me out. And so mm -hmm. it, they needed to start when I was younger so that I kind of grew and developed with the frequency versus just all at one point, at whatever point you're ready to sort of step into that space. It's sometimes it's a little bit too much. It kind of blows, can blow people out. We hear that a lot. And speaking of our mutual friend, uh, Barry Littleton. Yes, exactly. Getting that echo, forgive me guys. We're going to just try to stay with this. He speaks about Robin, what is called, what he calls uh, temporal aphasia which is a form of sort of, uh, it, well, 
I've asked him to describe what that is. It's a discomfort with because of the beings that uh, he's around, and he he says that his are physical uh, contact encounters versus in the non-physical state of what some feel many have. Mm -hmm. But in a physical environment, for instance, being on the craft and being in their presence, because of that uh, uh, EMF, I guess you could call it, uh, abbreviating uh, the the buoyancy, not buoyancy, that's not the word I'm looking for, but the power of the electromagnetic field that surrounds them and, and uh, how they operate yeah. can be overwhelming to the physical system. And so that temporal aphasia will kick in where there'll be sort of, I would imagine, extreme vertigo and other physical symptoms that many human systems, avatars, can't take. Right. Yeah, they do. I know that um, there's numbers. So the mantis, the ones that I've um, been in contact with or have been in contact with me, let's put it like that, and that I've grown up with the black mantis, like I said, they're electromagnetic beings and they use the Earth's grid system to move around. So they're not necessarily using craft. They're using just the the electric magnetic field, you know, let's say the similar to what Tesla talked about, we can pull free energy out of it's a, you know, it's just a grid system. You do have, um, I have been with some of the, um, on some of the crafts, but like my crafts experiences have been organic. So they're like almost forms that are grown mm -hmm. like pods. Um, they're normally seen as, as, orbs of light when you see them in the sky a lot of times they're referred to as these sort of orange big balls of light you can see moving in the sky that type of thing and those have mostly been schools so for instance the mantis are more scientists they're they deal with more of the science what we would call science or what we call medicine they don't call it medicine or science because there's not a sense of disease in that realm and you know like in the larger realm of resonance they're not the sense of disease so you don't need doctors you know what i mean but the idea of what happens to keep the electromagnetic grid at a neutral place so at harmony and balance that's what they basically do and so if we see ourselves as as electromagnetic beings sometimes we're a little bit more electric sometimes we're a little bit more ma magnetic you know like we're more negative or more positive and what we normally talk about in our terms are more ascetic you know ascetic more acidic or more alkaline so this same type of thing so we're normally trying to keep our body as we've been told in modern medicine more you know in a in a neutral between alkaline and acidic right so this is still electromagnetic you know we're still dealing with electricity and magnetism um so the mantis have a, the black mantis i like to make sure i continue to say that because there are a number of different of these sort of when you say mantis people uh, immediately think of like more like praying mantises mm -hmm. and where there is a part of the species the black mantises are a bit different than that, they're more like the octopi, um, which the region, the octopi handle the region of the, the portals in the water. And they're sort of like the mantis are the waters above and the octopi are the waters below, if you want to think of it like that. And they're all kind of portals and, and grids. Because remember, we're talking about the fact that I've seen the earth and it's been shown to me as an exoskeleton. So then everything is... Yeah. It, Let me stop you there. When you say mm -hmm. exoskeleton for those that I can't say that I completely understand what you mean when you say that, what, what do you mean exoskeleton? So if we think about the difference of um, a bug with a shell, 
So the shell is there and then everything inside is, is squishy. So their skeleton is on the outside where we and beings like mammals and what have you, our skeletons in the inside, right? So we have the skeleton, our physical skeleton, and then all of our flesh and our, you know, um, our makeup of our avatar is on the outside. Mm -hmm. So the exoskeleton is a much more flexible um, body form to take. It expands very easily, which is why we're in expansion, what you and I like to refer to as expansion. Same thing, ascension, however you want to, you know, it's been commonly called that. But I've always seen it as expansion because Guy has shown me it as expansion and she shows me how her scale, her exoskeleton grows and how it continues to expand, which is why so many of our extraterrestrial life form brothers and sisters take on this exoskeleton type of body because it's so much more easy to put easy. You can put your electromagnetic field, your plasma field, your etheric field, because, you know, there are different fields that these beings pull from are, are more comfortable with. It's easier to put it into a body that has an exoskeleton than it is to what grow a whole skeleton and then try to piece it on the outside. You know what I mean? If you really kind of think about it, it's more, it's a more, um, um, it's an easier form to adopt mm-hmm. the energy fields too. I imagine movement ebbing and flowing, warping and wefting, moving in and out, depending on the environment they're traversing. Precisely. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And I think of, again, Barry, Barry, your ears must be ringing, dude. I'm going to have to give yeah, you a call ringing. later. We spoke about this idea of uh, craft being some of them, a, a sort of mitosis, uh, yeah, that being yeah. a cellular form, right? Able to split off and create more forms that are sentient. We also talked yeah, about do. this idea of fungus like mushrooms. So if you look at a mushroom, this to me yeah. is fascinating. When you look at a mushroom growing in the ground or above the ground, what does the, the, the very they structure look just of a like mushroom look like? Spacecrafts that just take off from, the, from their pot. <laughs> What are your thoughts about that? What's the relationship you think? Are those mushrooms more than we think they are? Well, you know, definitely. I think they're definitely a part of the mitocellular network, right? They're normally right by trees. And we know trees are very dominant in in their ability to transfer and communicate all the way around the other side of the planet. Um, And this has been a part of our cultural um, mythology, you know, going back tens of thousands of years that trees have this ability to talk to one another there, you know, and and, uh, most funguses, most of these um, mushroom type fungi grow near trees. So I do believe that there's this huge, huge connection to it. I know that um, my experiences is on those sort of, um, you know, homegrown ships, you know, (laughs) where the ones that are definitely organic, those are learning. So I've always found those to be like learning um, environments. So the beings that are on those ships have shown me themselves as being, it's, it's the idea of consciousness. So it's, it's like the idea of cosmic or super consciousness meeting um, the consciousness that's held within the body. So, you know, we have all these levels of consciousness, right? So either we're always ascending. So our whole point of ascension is we're ascending our consciousness up to a level 
that we're able to communicate telepathically and, you know, we can use all of the, the clairs and, you know, it's this idea of us upgrading this being, this body, this avatar. Well, you have beings that exist in the field of cosmic consciousness and higher consciousness that choose to take on some sort of body in order to communicate with us. So they're kind of like moving into a chosen descension to be able to communicate with us and teach us and help up level us. And so a lot of times the the orb ships are like light ships. And so these beings are moving from their from pure light, the essence, into a body that looks more like a light orb. And then they inhabit these crafts that are organic like orbs. And that's been my experience of them. And every time I've been on them, it's definitely been, they've been teaching me something, showing me something. Um, and a lot of it's just been being downloaded into my avatar. Like I'm seeing it and I'm asking, okay, I'm not going to remember this. And they're like, don't worry about it. It's just, it's integrating and um, et cetera. So yes. And I've seen many of these um, in physical nature. Um, when I know, when I see them, I know that generally that evening they're letting me know that we're going to, that I'll be coming onto the ship and they're going to be downloading more information. So yeah, I agree. And Barry and I have talked about those type of experiences mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah. There's only a couple of times I've actually been on what I, I feel are physical ships, like that you feel are made from some type of metallic that's not of this it's of earth but it's not in this realm it's more in another aspect another part of the the planet um i would say twice and in both of those times they felt like more like they were definitely military operations i felt like that was where defense was happening these kind of ships have a certain type of defense and the defense that was going on was there were like earth beings on their like like physical the idea of uh, the super soldier kind of concept um, integrating also with terrestrial beings that were on the ship. And that's been twice. So you've so. experienced that yourself. I'm nodding because this is such a common story. Yeah. Um, there's an inextricable link that we cannot ignore between the human and non-human influence. I'm just going to keep it very vanilla, very homogenized. We won't have to get into detail. I want to fast forward now because your the mantis M mantis do you call them mantis or mantids because i know they're used both ways mantis? either way i mean okay. sometimes it's funny sometimes they'll refer themselves as the mantids and it seems like it's a plural form and then the mantis is a singular form form that's the only way i can sort of say okay. when they actually refer to themselves as how it is interesting so these beings have been talking a lot lately robin i want to fast forward to now because this is the crux of our conversation and frankly why robin will be doing this incredible incredibly powerful workshop coming up uh urgent remember we started out the conversation this way yeah you recently not recently as recent as this morning got a download about what's going on now now we got to keep this relatively g-rated you know what i mean so let's go for it Tell We've us been around what, the block a couple of times, you and I. We understand um, that. Yeah. But so this is definitely a message of hope. And I, you know, I've said that to you, and I I really want to make sure that I push that out because you know, there is a lot of darkness on this. This realm is one that was established in the fungus type of um by fungus beings. I mean, it's just that simple. 
which is why there's just always been this high level of confusion. Even when you try to just be super positive and super all of that, you know, like something seems to kind of always come through. You know, you have people, the light workers have talked about this, you know, for decades, right? So we know that there's something else at work. And so I'm a big believer and I'd rather look at the darkness and, and look and figure out what it is, knowing that my light is, is strong enough to shine into it. And if we even just think of it scripturally, if you look at the amount of scriptures and um, from Christianity, Islam, you know, Judaism, that talk about shining light on the darkness. There's just no, there's just no coincidence that that's always being instructed and we are light. You know, and it's very easy for us to keep our frequencies at a high place. So once you settle that, that you're light and you do have the ability, you don't have to be brought down. Although we're constantly, the fungus is constantly sending out sort of signals and images and things that kind of keep on lowering your energy. But once you settle with yourself that you can establish your, you know, your energy levels. And this is some of the stuff we'll talk about in, in the workshop and I'll give some specific things that people can do to help with that. Once you establish that, looking the fungus straight in the eye is not like, it's not a big deal, actually. It's not even anything that raises fear in the body because you, you're you above the fear frequency. <laughs> so it's like, it's hard to let yourself come back down into fear because you're resonating in a frequency that it can't even begin to really affect you. But the, the, the scriptures, I think it's 2 Corinthians, talk about that light will shine out of the darkness. So we are already in it, like it or not. So the, the option is to align yourselves and realize that the light is shining out of the darkness. And in that, there are so many resonant, sentient beings and frequencies that are here to constantly aid us. It's like anyone can connect with the mantis Um frequency. It's a resonant frequency. It's just, let me explain it like this. Many of us practice the use of crystals. I think that's a very common one in our community. So let's say you use a rose quartz and you believe that that rose quartz, if you put it on your body in various nodal points, that's going to bring in a frequency that's healing, that's relaxing, that's comforting, right? We believe that. Well, what I'm shown with crystals is that they carry a, a single, a singular resonant frequency and they're sentient. So crystals are sentient at a single resonant frequency. So in the case of a rose quartz, it's, it's carrying that single resonant frequency that connects it back to the planet, back to Gaia, back to the planetary logos. And so when we use that resonant frequency, we receive the healing from that particular one. So we have lots of stones around us, right? And we use them various ways. So if you can, if you can connect with that's how you operate with crystals, then that's how everything else is from plants to herbs to even our, um, our extraterrestrial brothers and sisters, they have resident frequencies. And when you, when you call on that resonant frequency, you will experience it. And based on what it is that that frequency does, you'll receive um, whatever empowerment, healing, you know, a mental, you know, frequency upgrade, uh, consciousness expansion. Um, and so this is specifically how they work. It's really not anything that's above any of us as humans because our avatars are designed 
to process and receive these resonant frequencies. That's what we do. And that's what makes us so unique as beings. Um, and is which is why we're always trying to be co-opted. Um, and the most recent thing that's going on called protocols is it's almost, you can think of it the same way that we can think of the evolution of the species um, that is talked about in Darwinism, right? You know, going from ape to human. That was a, that was a certain type of gene, a genetic um, process that happened, similar to what we're going on now. It's just a little bit more advanced with because the technology is a, a little different. We know it's more of a technology. Um, and the same is true with, similarly, we hear a lot about what happened with the Anunnaki, right? How that species, um, what they did to sort of separate the DNA and all this sort of stuff. This has been going on because what's happening, it's a constant shifting humanity into something that the fungus can host entirely. But because we are self-healing, our avatars self-heal at this amazing rate, the genetic memory and code in our avatars, um, it, it reverses so quickly that by the time they can try to try to get enough of us as human species a particular way, we've ascended, we've expanded, we have healed that genetic code and we become again close to what our original avatar form is. This is why it's not working. So the, the latest mass protocol, the hope of, of as, as I've been shown, the hope that the fungus that is initiating this through many um, global cooperative beings that are heads of various mm -hmm. states, regions, and providences are totally um, in agreement and have totally have um, in a lot of ways, the protocol that is being pushed out on humanity right now worked on a smaller level with these beings who agreed to it and work as with it. They work in the earth realm as humans, but really aren't. And we've heard a lot of work from David Icke and people like that that explain this um, and do a, a very good job of explaining it. So since it worked on this sort of micro level, the idea is if we could push it out all in a, in a, in a close time frame and get a large amount of the species to, to, to you know, take this protocol, then we can have this massive conversion that wouldn't allow humans to process it out and let's say heal the avatars at all these different rates. And where it makes this important or it really comes together is the idea that what really heals at this incredible rate is our mass, our, the mass consciousness, because um, we are, you know, basically it's the, the work of Jung when he talked about the psyche, the soul, the soul Jung, he illustrated brilliantly in his work, a large part of the psychic exists outside of our avatar. He's proven that there's this area of consciousness that we can connect to that exists outside of us. And the part of our soul, our psyche comes into this um, physical being. Well, if you can get everyone's psyche or souls to go into this protocol at the same time, then 
there, there isn't the opportunity for us outside that the part of the psyche that exists outside the avatar to come together and do this mass psychosis healing. Because if you even think back to biblically, what is, you know, we've often all been raised on this, think those things into being as though they were, our, our consciousness is what creates the matter. So if you can some kind of way usurp and psyop the consciousness, which is what's really being psyop, by closing down the actual physical avatar Mm -hmm. So that we're not communicating as a mass collective consciousness for the positive humanity. They might have had a shot, the fungus, at, at really taking over a large chunk of the human experience and actually entering it and becoming becoming quasi-human in a real sense. But of course, it's not working because the big part of it is only 30% of most hum humans are even susceptible to hypnosis, right? And then you have 10%, you know, it's been documented that just don't take hypnotic suggestion. And then you have people in between that can go either way. Right. So the hope was that you could get like a good 80% of the people bang on with this protocol and it would have been more of a done deal. So it's, 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 it's over now. It's just not going to be able to happen. And so the good news is that yes, it has been hijacked and yes, as a part of the, the collective um, psychosis, was psychosis now, <laughs> because it became that over a period of time, right? Of years and years of this programming of fear and, and limitation and that the way you, you, know, you cr create any type of currency is outside of your body through working and exchanging work for money, which is also another false paradigm that we can talk about at another point, but so because of all of this is broken down, we're now at this place where just hearing this and just allowing yourself to sit back and relax and listen to that inner voice. And if what I'm saying, if you just stop in this moment and just ask yourself deep down, yes or no, the first response that you get is going to be the response from the planetary logos. And that's what you should go with. If you hear a yes, and move with it. If you hear a no, move with that. That's the best way that I can tell that for, for a person to really try to suss this out on a very personal level, because the only way we will actually walk out and reclaim humanity and actually move from under this, this domed structure <laughs> is an individual path. And it's a path back through, and that's what the ascension is. And if we, if I would agree with the term ascension, it would be because we are moving out of this firmament structure that many souls have been trapped in that shouldn't be in here. Now to the work of Dolores Cannon, and I know you and Julie are really good friends. I've been shown that what Dolores's work showed is the NPCs. These are the, these are the beings that were actually Sorry about that. That's the, I live near an airbase. Those are the beings that actually were trapped underneath this firmament and are a part of the pseudo system of beings that were created by the fungus um, to originally try to take over. And if you just even think back to the earlier um, infatoriums, I'll just st stick that out there. A lot of the work that's come out of the fairs and stuff where they showed babies and infatoriums and, and where do you think all of those babies came from? That's a whole nother story, but it, it connects back to the fungus and an earlier time where they had tried to do the same thing a couple hundred years ago. Um, and it just didn't work out. So 
it's definitely a message of hope, everyone. It's a message of hope. It's a message of resilience. It's obviously a message of courage. Here's the question I have. There's no way I could, if I even try to regurgitate what she just said, I, I can maybe distill it, but I don't think it's even necessary. You were very clear and very articulate. As as I'm listening to you, Robin, talk about this process, the attempts that have happened previously, and where we are right now in this trajectory, and I'm looking at nearly 8 billion people, a percentage of which are taking or, or are preparing to take a conscious and proactive step in doing exactly what you just described. There will clearly and unequivocally be a bunch of others that will do nothing, that will continue to remain oblivious, bless their hearts. That's fine. But the question is, we've talked about the 144,000, right? Yes, yes. Will that symbolic number, let's call it, help with those who know nothing of what we're talking about and would know nothing uh, consciously, of course, uh, to do anything. In other words, what will yeah. happen to the, the individuals who are outside of this framework and just for whatever reason uh, have not developed their own psyche to the point of, of having this epiphany? So definitely, if we go back to the idea of um, the, um, the electromagnetic being, electromagnetic beings exist in the neutral field. So when you move yourself back in, into this space of, and, and we, we accomplish it with doing things like meditation, you know, that brings you into the zero field because that electromagnetic field is that place of the zero field. It's the zero field that allows you to move in and out of portals, which is why so many of our, you know, space um, brothers and sisters move in and out of por- portals easily because they've balanced this field that they can go in and out. It's like you're not creating a shock or resistance to move in and out of the electric grids because you're neutralized, right? When we, if we just try to go in and out of a grid, we probably fry ourselves to death if you weren't sure you're neutralized because you're either negative or positive. The same thing that happens if you put your car battery in on wrong. What's going to happen? You'll fry your system. If you miss, you know, if you, um, connect the negative to the positive and the opposite way around when it's, it's not supposed to be that way. It fries your system. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is to move into the neutral, the space of, of being a more electromagnetic balanced being. If you think about the sine wave, you know, the sine wave goes like this and you have two sine waves coming together. They normally move together as a negative and a positive, right? And that's what creates circles Sine waves are different shapes as well, but let's just say the circular one, which is, it actually is a symbol of the, of the rate of motion. Um, it's not so much time as a lot of times people think of, but it's, it's, it's a rate of motion. So if you're at a neutral place, means you're, you're have very little motion. You have very small sine waves. They're just very small. So that's what happens in meditation. That's what happens in these places where we just sort of bring our bodies down. When we go into alpha state, which is a great state to go into the lucid field. Um, we're just relaxing, which is why that's what also what televisions do. So televisions put you in this alpha state and then it programs you, which is why I've always said it's telling a lie visually. It tell, they tell you just what the thing is, you know? Um, so you're in an alpha when you look at TV and then anything that's coming out of that can program you. So we can also program ourselves by going into nature, sitting under a tree, meditating. That's why the, all these things the mystics talked about actually fundamentally serve a technological pers- purpose within our avatar. 
And so when we do that, so those, um, so there may be beings out there good, you know, that are more at electromagnetic base, or they may be at, a, at I mean, a, at a magnetic or electric. So let's say it's a negative and positive pole. Doesn't mean you're negative or positive in, in terms of your, your consciousness. It just means that you may be resonating a little bit more too high or too low on, on one of those frequencies. And so what you want to do is balance and constantly bring yourself to the middle. So it really doesn't matter whether or not you know if it's a negative or a positive or electro or a magnetic frequency that you're resonating. If you just focus on things that bring you to the middle, that way you know you're balancing that frequency and that frequency will allow uh, you to be right um, and you'll you'll move along as a part of the collective consciousness that Young talked about because consciousness is what it's frequency, right? When we're meditating, we're going into the field of consciousness. So <clears throat> because we're elevating, expanding as cosmic into the co field of cosmic consciousness, it would make sense that we would do the things that would connect our electric frequency, our electromagnetic frequency, to the higher field, and that's why things like um, meditation work so supremely. I feel that, you know, a lot of people talk about diet or things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what I think is more important <clears throat> is to eat what, whatever way your body is telling you to eat, number one. Mm -hmm. I tend and to if agree. you're in meditation and if you're doing these things, your body will tell you what it needs. <clears throat> but right now we're also in stressful times. And if you eat a food that's a comfort food for you, regardless on whether or not it's on somebody's ideal list of food, it doesn't matter because if you you can eat foods that may not be on the ideal list, somebody, whoever that somebody is, and um, you're calm, you're relaxed because it's keeping you in a good centered place, right? Or you could try to eat this other diet over there that is on somebody's ideal list and you're stressed out all over the place. You're, you know, you're because it doesn't resonate with you. You're, oh, I, I forgot to eat that today. Oh, my goodness. Now that's creating the stress that nobody needs right now. So I say, as opposed to worrying about changing habits, that's not the point. The point is to work on consciousness. If you work on making sure that your consciousness is at that zero point, that you're existing in this, this electromagnetic field, you'll know it. Because things are just not going to bother you. You're okay. just going to begin to see the world more clearly. That is where I would put my focus over all this. A lot of this other stuff is distraction. Right. And it's distraction uh, by purpose. I think you're spot on. I know that this may be controversial to some, but I, I tend to resonate with uh, with what you're saying. You and know, this is coming what, from a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian all my life. I came in here just not liking the way meat sp smelled and way because milk. Because you didn't like it, not because but, it was on somebody's list. Right. Again. It was just that's my. And I wanted to say that that I'm that. And this is a this is a person who's been a lifelong vegetarian saying that I don't see problem with a lot of other people's diets mm -hmm. if it's meat, if it's whatever, if you're whatever you're doing. If right now, what's most it's. That's not a negative or a positive because when you exist in the space of neutrality, you really begin to see there's no negative and positive. Right. Well, I want to I want to bring up I want to piggyback on that point you talk about with neutrality and and equilibrium. That's the word that comes to mind. I mean, yes. with the way we're made up from the hemispheres of our brain to the uh, our dominant writing hand versus the other. I have always felt this necessity to bring 
the consciousness of ourselves into balance in order to reap the benefits of both. Otherwise we wouldn't have both. This has hallmarks of alchemy. And I know, you know, a little bit about that too. Absolutely. Let's get into that a little bit. Definitely. Where does the alchemical on both sides, frankly, the alchemical as it, as it relates to the fungus, mm-hmm. the, alchem- the, al- the alchemy of what's going on in terms of what it may be trying to accomplish and what how they're using alchemy to do that, but also alchemy that that is uh, part of who we are. I say mm-hmm. we're alchemists at our core. We have the ability to turn scrap metal into gold. We have the ability to take the extreme left and right, bring it together and create what? A third reality. Mm-hmm. This is that neutrality. Speak mm-hmm. to that if you would, Robin, a bit. Alchemy. You're right on with that because that's one of the things that the Madness has brought up last night. That's very interesting because they wanted to talk about um, alchemy. And so they, they they entered the conversation from the standpoint of um, of emotions and how oftentimes they've been referred to as neutral beings. And that's true. But a lot of times people have elaborated it into the emotions that they don't have emotions. Well, they in fact do have emotions, but there's a, there is a, there's emotions that exist in the zero field. So, um, by example, a lot of times, this has been my personal experience too, as I have a, a, a German shepherd puppy, she's just a year old, who's taught me this. The idea of when you, uh, to speak without emotion, right? So to ask for things and expect things without the associated emotion. So when I give her a command, if I talk to her, just like I'm talking right now, she could be bouncing off the walls. But if I talk to her like I'm talking to you right now, She'll sit down and listen to me. But if I match the emotion, like, what are you doing that? Get down. Stop that. You know, oh, my goodness. She's just bouncing even more. So that's me speaking with emotion. Right. And so um, but I could also speak with neutrality with the absence of being concerned with whether or not she breaks something or whatever happens. But just ask, but getting my resonance out so that she hears me and that she will um, address my command. This is the type of neutrality that beings like the mantis have. It's not that they don't have empathy. It's just that they're not overloaded with empathy. Like I know I am. I have too much empathy. And my thing is I'm trying to work back to that central point where I have enough to be effective, but not too much to be overly emotional. And then you have beings that are on the other end of it that are just no empathy, complete apathy. And and they may got concerned about moving themselves to the middle. So with that example of how we can be neutral, we can exist in the field of neutrality and have empathy that we can manage it so that we're not over emoting all over the place and thinking that that type of empathy is a good thing. Well, it's really kind of working against us because it's pulling us into one of the electro, either the, the field of electricity or one of magnetism. And we don't want that. We want to stay here. So the point to the point of alchemy, alchemy exists in that neutral zone, right? It exists in the zone of um, the zero field. And so we are by nature alchemists, but in order to, um, and, and our bodies naturally perform alchemy. Alchemy is not something that exists outside of us. It actually exists more harmoniously inside of our avatars and we use it to generate. 
So to my point, to the, to the point of this, we, we generate resonant tones, right? So we, we, we can generate sounds. Um, we generate pictures, images. Um, and we also are able to take our physiology through um, the crystalline or the silicon aspect of our bodies and we manifest. So we are a manifesting machine. So using sound, so we'll use the common one of ohm, you know, everybody knows ohm. So if you use the common sound of ohm and you have the picture of the symbol, you can hold it in your mind or you can look at it, you can meditate on it, however you want to see that. And then you also are generating the sound and the tone back into the physical body. So when you're meditating, you're not necessarily trying to push it out. You're trying to push it in. And when we push it in and we bring it down into our root chakra, which is the cinnabar field, we can talk about cinnabar at another time is a very amazing um, element mm -hmm. that is fundamental to alchemy. When we push it back, and it's interesting that the Taoists call the lower Dantian or the root chakra, the cinnabar field. That's also our reproduction. It's also connected to the cosmic womb. So when we push it back in there, we create. So literally we can manifest through the alchemical processes. When you look at a lot of the very old um, alchemy, um, the documents on alchemy, there's always a picture and there's always um, a musical um, staff or sound or um, creation that goes along with the formula. So if you have the formula, but you don't have the picture or the music or those are missing, you don't have the trinity. You don't mm -hmm. have the trinity, the three that are needed to make this thing perform. So if you think about in terms of the body are the three Dantians that the Taoists talk about in Tai Chi. So the lower Dantian, the cinnabar field, that's where you're going to create. That's the cauldron. That's the pot. The womb is the cauldron, the pot. The heart area is um, connected to the thymus. This is the voice because it's the thymus that communicates between the heart and the pineal gland, the third eye. So that's the voice. That's where the sound comes from. And the pineal gland is the picture. That's the picture. Here again, we have the three Dantians. We have the three, we have the Trinity. We have the, you know, the, um, the, um, the Holy Trinity even, which is why so many of the alchemical symbols, um, so many of the base symbols are triangles. Here again, we have the three. So alchemy is a natural state for us as beings to understand and participate in, which is why it's been one of the sort of the secret sciences that you notice is just not talked about. And when this when this realm was reset or usurped or hijacked, like I, I like your word hijacked, it was reset into the periodic table. So this the alchemical table morphed into the periodic table. And so that's a misteaching. And it can cause you to, I mean, it's, it's causing us to sort of stay where we are. If we really translate, transfer it back into the alchemical table and used alchemy as this idea of Trinity. And that's what we're moving back to. That's a part of the expansion as well. Okay. Well, I was going to say, you're putting in so many elements from the historical to the, um, to the, to the chemical, <laughs> To, uh, so many things we're talking about history and we're talking about how we apply all of this to the present day at this pivotal point 
that we are in, this precipice that we are clearly on. And we don't necessarily need to consciously know that. I have a feeling that we have that embedded within yeah. the, the the Akashic field within is what I like to call it. And perhaps there will be, in speaking to uh, those individuals that may not be consciously aware of what we're talking about, but if it's in there, will that be triggered? I wonder if there will be some event, let's just say, that might trigger this knowing, this remembrance that will put us on our path put us back into a state of equilibrium, bring back that alchemical aspect to ourselves so that we can uh, go into this expansion period as a collective versus um, a one-off. Yeah. I, I, I believe that there is a, an event on the horizon. Um, here again, it's another one of the events, the fungus, they're throwing out events left and right. Um, you know, let me just one that I would bring to the attention of our audience that's current that just happened. Um, just go inside and meditate on or like go into the zero field we're talking about and listen to possibilities of what just happened with the tornado that just went through five states that stayed Six. on the ground for that's right. miles or something like that. 30 um, tornadoes. We have to ask ourselves, is, was that a natural phenomena or is that an event that is being put out there by what I've already described as the fungus to sort of kind of uh, create a certain fear that, you know, like you have these very low frequencies um, and it's just constantly polarizing us as beings. It's just constant polarizing. It's like this beating away, you know, um, to kind of cause us to conform. So I throw that out as something just to go, mm, you know what I mean? Um, because I definitely look at it probably differently than uh, maybe others may. So that's yeah. an example, but it's not really working yeah. because it didn't really have the effect. I think that it was designed to because people are worn out as much as you want to like really respond. You're like, oh, my God, yeah. you know, people are I, numb. no question about it. And, and right. by the so way, there's going to yeah. be something that's going to go to another level. I believe that's going to be, and I know there's others, out there like myself who believe this. We were talking about a little bit about that before we started the show. And and it's going to be something that's really going to try to shock um, humanity into the, into the pathway that the fungus has been laying out with all the protocols and stuff. And what I could just simply say to anyone when this does happen, in that instant when you recognize, wow, this has got to be something major, stop try to settle yourself. And if you don't do anything else, but just go inside and ask the question, you know, is this of the yes light or no? Yes. Yeah, yes or, or no. no. Right. Yes or no. And whatever you get, generally the planetary logos, Gaia is so easily um, accessible because we walk on her and we, we're, 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 um, we're made of her. Mm -hmm. So it's very easy to hear her voice. You may not hear all the complexities, but that yes or no will come powerfully. Well, I, and think that's where, that. I think, Robin, that's where synchronicity comes in. You know, we, we have to understand that the language of the universe is often through symbols and, mm -hmm. and she uses a myriad of methods to bring that through, whether it's a message yeah. on television, a conversation. I can't tell you how many of the journeyers have said, oh, I was thinking about this and so, and lo and behold, I turn on your show, Alexis, and here you are talking about it. So it's, it, it, exactly. it's brilliant in that it knows exactly what to use, when and where to get your attention.
attention. So that's yeah. that. We're going to be winding down soon. But I want to I want to bring up one more thing. So just one this point, is- real quick, if I can. Well, to that point, when mm-hmm. this event that the possible event that could occur that many of us are speculating will. The one reason why Gaia really enforces to practice the internal thing, and I 100% agree with you in synchronicity and how we like like a show like yours could after a person hears a yes or a no, a show like yours could pop up and it'll reinforce it. Like they'll understand, oh, that's why I got it. But when this happens, we may be out of communication with one another. And so to begin to practice now, this idea mm-hmm. of hearing internally is so important because it'll settle you. If you practice it now and then you pop onto shows and other synchronicities pop up, it'll learn for, you'll learn to trust that so that when you can't get the outside stimuli, you'll know, nope, I'm hearing from Gaia. And to your point, um, it's, it, this will happen. Whatever happens is only going to be for a short period of time. So let's say it's the worst thing one somebody could think about. Maybe you can't talk to anybody. The internet's down, all that kind of stuff. Trust that it's not going to be a very long period of time. It could be a couple of weeks. It could be, it's not going to be like a forever thing. And I've mm-hmm. definitely been I shown with you. not forever. I do. Yeah. So just, I, I want to put that you. out there as a part of the hope, like don't, yeah, don't sweat it. Just have some food right. and some water and hang inside. <laughs> right. No, I'm glad you brought that up. Thanks for that. And I do think it's important. Again, we have become so reliant on the external stimuli to give us our truth in whatever form we take it, including synchronicity coming vis-a-vis these technologies. One of the things is very briefly what I will do in practicing uh, looking at other methods by which synchronicity or messages can come through is I have a tree in the backyard that I call Yin. She's a very wise pine tree. It is a she, I'm sure. And when I'm asking a question or just really wanting to know whether she's hearing me, I'll ask her to shake her leaves, move, 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 mm-hmm. move and bend your branches. That's and a good one. I think, you know, the answer to many of the times I've done that, the answer yes. is yes, she, she would move. Yeah. Listen, I want to bring this up before we close down. And yes, folks, you know where we're going after this. We're going to the Patreon after show to take this a little bit deeper. But I want to bring up something having to do with this We've talked about what you have dubbed the fungus. Uh, I think at this point, within context, you all know what we're we're speaking of. Uh, You're probably familiar with something called the Nag Hammadi, the Gnostic scriptures, the Nag Hammadi scriptures, which I find fascinating. I have have owned this text for a long time. It's an international version that was edited by a man named uh, Marvin Meyer, I believe his last name, uh, did a brilliant job of transcribing and thus editing but he speaks of, not he, but the, the scriptures themselves, n- not unlike other, uh, well, this is considered Gnostics are considered early, early Christianity, but right. not unlike other uh, more recent uh, books, uh, religious texts talking about this influence, let's just say, that is considered to be malevolent and having uh, a desire to take over humanity, etc. But there's a chapter in the Nagamati scriptures that is called, and I'm trying to think if I can think of it, I don't have it written down here, but it, it, it deals with this archon influence. That's what they call it, as well as the demiurge. And uh, Meyer, I hope I'm getting this name right, Marvin, Marvin, who did the editing of the scripture, points to um, uh, what is inferred in the text. I'll read it. He says, and he says this in the introduction of this chapter, to be sure, a major point of the Nag Hammadi text is that the malevolent demiurge and archons are real and do exist. And here's the key. But when they are opposed vigorously by the children of the light, they will be defeated. 
Yes. I was so touched when I read that. Mm -hmm. We've seen hallmarks of this before as well. We've seen representations uh, or interpretations of this sort of thing before. But the fact that, and forgive me, guys, maybe I can put something up on the screen and post that tells the, that shows the, uh, I'm actually going to show an image of the book, but also the chapter in which uh, the texts go into explicit detail about this fungus, this archon influence, and and what they also refer to as a demiurge. But this is powerful. When yeah. vigorously opposed by the children of the light, meaning there will be a revelation of what has been going on. And as such, there will be a retaliation, if you will, by the light to expose this and thus annihilate it. That's right. my uh, sort of distillation. So I just right. wanted to bring that up. I think that is super, super powerful. I agree, I agree uh, with that 100%. And, yeah. The, and that's where we are right. right now. We are in the period that he's talking about. We are in that. We're like smack dag in the middle of Absolutely. this happening right now. Like right. any second now, this, because the, the children of light are already opposing. So many people have opposed it or else it would have been a done deal by now with protocols. So right. we can see there's huge opposition. And when this next event, whatever it is, begins to roll out, that's when the, when what he's talking about will really rise up against the, the, the demiurge. Absolutely. Absolutely. By the way, I just wanted to bring up where I quoted Rob and I just did a, a, a fairly detailed uh, post over on higherjourneys.com dealing with this uh, possibility of the ascension being hijacked, the who, what, and why of the uh, control agenda go over and check that out i'll have a link below uh, but over on higherjourneys.com where robin weighs in as well as several other uh, consciousness warriors i call them on the state of affairs and where we are and where we're going which is as you say robin at the end of the day a message of hope of yeah, faith definitely. of trust mm -hmm. and of of love really and i can uh, say just very quickly that Ga gaia when she came to me and showed me what was happening, what was going to happen the, the past two years. She showed me this in August of 2019 and began to warn that this was happening. And and to the date that all this stuff was happening, you, you know this, I've told you before, it, it, things began to roll out to the date that she was giving me months ahead. But what she did show me is that we are coming out on the other side and humanity will come back into a place of paradisical peace. We will. So it could be another couple of years. It could, you know, we're, we'll know at a point that we've won and now it's like the reclamation process. We got to kind of begin to reclaim things and clean things up and whatever, but we'll know that we've won. So I've definitely been shown the other side of this, that this is not something that's just a hopeless, it's going it's to be not like a done deal. No, the chapter has not been fully written, as I said. Right. And I think there are right. quite a few of us that know that it is, you know, the, all the cliches apply. The darkness is indeed before the dawn. The magic does exist, live within the madness, as mad as this world is today. I want to remind everyone about Robin's upcoming workshop this Saturday. If you're watching this when it airs, if you happen to be watching it, uh, a year down the road, once we're past all of this, you can still go back and, and, and get a recording of the workshop, How to Stop the Ascension Hijack and Stay on the High Frequency Path. This isn't just about preaching uh, what what uh, she feels is going on. She, she'll be preaching too, but there are some really, really critical action steps, Robin, that you want our participants to take, having to do with things like rewiring your brain, getting a little bit deeper into the alchemical aspects that we talked about today. So I would definitely urge you to sign up for- and the have shown me some technology that I'll share in our workshop. Um, that's great. That will help push it out. So yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. 
exciting, guys. Exciting. Hey, come on over uh, and join us next door. Door is opening now over on Patreon where we're going to go a little bit deeper and uh, join us. Would you? We need you over on Patreon. You know the deal. I'm not going to I'm not going to start preaching. But we do need your support. If you want to see Higher Journeys continue, I'm not begging. I'm just let, let me, letting you know how this is working. And you get a, a bunch of good stuff, too, like these great conversations we're having with Robin McClendon. So consider joining us over on Patreon. Link, of course, is below. Robin, thank you so much, as always, my dear. And I'm so looking forward to working with you once again for the workshop. Thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I am as well. Appreciate I it. I love you. You know I love you, right? I'm putting it out there on the record. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. You know that dearly. <laughs> and you know, I love you too, journeyers. So until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for watching Higher Journeys.